Last Sunday, we introduced to you the theme for 2021, which is the year of the gospel. The events of this week have just been further evidence of how badly the gospel is needed in our nation and in our community. So we're going to do our best this year to really focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ in various ways. We want to make sure as best we can to understand and to live out and to share the gospel throughout the year. And so since this year is the year of the gospel, I thought it would be appropriate for us to preach through one of the gospels. And so we're going to be working our way between now and Easter through the gospel of Luke. Would you take your Bibles, we'd open God's Word to the book of Luke or the Gospel of Luke. Now I know that you're already reading the Gospel of Luke and studying the Gospel of Luke in your BSF classes. And so we have intentionally chosen this Gospel so that we can kind of walk alongside you and complement what you're already doing in your BSF classes. I will be using scriptures and texts that you are not using in the BSF, so we're not duplicating what you're doing, we're adding to what you're doing. But here's what we're going to be doing as we work our way through the Gospel of Luke between now and Easter Sunday. We're going to break the Gospel of Luke down into four mini-series, if you will. So today, and at least next Sunday, we'll look at how the Gospel writers introduced Jesus to the world. How do you go about introducing Jesus to the world? Imagine growing up in a place where there are no churches in your community. Imagine growing up in a place where there are no crosses, there are no steeples, there are very few, if any, Christians who live in your community. Imagine growing up in a time when you've never heard of God, that He loves you, and that He sent His Son to die for your sins. Now, what I've just described for you was, is not an unreached people group in our world today, What I've just described for you was the world in which Luke was living when he wrote the gospel we call Luke in the second half of the first century. You see, all of those things that we take for granted now were not present then. When Luke sat down to write his gospel, there were no churches, there were no steeples, there were no crosses like we would understand them. Uh, There were no Christians or very few Christians who were living in the communities of that land. They didn't have the New Testament as we have it today. Indeed, it was a dark time for the entire nation of Israel. The people had heard no prophetic word from God for about 400 years. You see, Malachi, as the Old Testament closes, Malachi prophesied that, that there would be no word from the Lord. Amos said that there would be a famine of the Word of God. And indeed there was. For 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, it was 400 years of silence. God didn't speak. There was no prophetic word from God. And because of that, it became a very dark time spiritually for the nation of Israel. The spiritual leaders, in fact, in that day were shackled by tradition and shackled by their own sins, and were shackled by corruption. And even the king in that day was a man who was leading them far, far from God. Herod the Great was the king in that day, and Herod the Great was, though his name is great, he was a tyrant. He had, the Bible, or the history tells us, he had at least nine wives, some say ten. 
one of whom he had executed for no apparent reason. He was a tyrannical leader. He was in many ways a madman. And it was in those days that Luke introduced Jesus to a desperately dark world. It was in those days that Luke sat down, sat down to write the story, the biography of Jesus Christ because he was living in a time and in a land that desperately needed some good news. In fact, in the opening chapters of this book, we read these words. Let me just remind you, since we're just out of the Christmas season, let me remind you of some of the opening words in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, verse 10, the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Luke presents Jesus Christ as the Savior for everyone. If you think of Luke, I just want you to think of it in that term. Maybe even write that down at the top of the page of your Bible. The Savior for everyone. For example, Luke shows Jesus as a friend of sinners and outcasts throughout his gospel. He keeps writing these stories and showing that Jesus was a a friend of sinners and the outcasts. Another example, Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that tell us of this sinful woman who anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and bathed those feet with her tears. Luke is the only gospel writer that tells us a story of Zacchaeus, who was the crooked tax collector who came to Jesus. Luke is the only gospel writer who tells us the story of the thief on the cross who repented of his sins before he died on the cross. You see, when you think of the Gospel of Luke, think of it in terms of a message of hope for everybody. Now, there are four things, as we kind of introduce this book to you today, there are, there are four things about this book that I want to call to your attention that makes the Gospel of Luke a very interesting read. Four things that I want to call to your attention that, that, about Luke that make him a unique Gospel writer. Here are the four things. Number one, he's the only New Testament writer that was a Gentile. And by that I mean he was not a Jew. All the other New Testament writers were all Jews. Luke is the only Gentile, the only non-Jew who is writing. Which is kind of interesting because here you have a Gentile writing a gospel story for other Gentiles. He is, this gospel is indeed a story for everybody. Good news For everybody. He has a special message in the Gospel of Luke for everybody that there are no boundaries to the love of God. The second thing that makes Luke a unique Gospel writer is that Luke wrote a sequel. After he wrote the Gospel of Luke, he later wrote the book of Acts. It's two volumes of one work, really. In the Gospel of Luke, he talks about the work and the ministry of Jesus while on earth. And then in the the book of Acts, he talks about the the history of the spread of the church and the gospel for the first 30 years of the life of the church. And if you take those two books together, both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, if you look at those two books together, you'll find out that he covers a period of time of about 61 years. That is a significant part of the first century. As he talks about the first 61 years, the birth of Jesus through the spread of the gospel to the known world. Now here's a third thing that makes the Gospel of Luke an interesting read and Luke a unique uh, Gospel writer. Luke wrote more the New Testament than anyone else. <clears throat> now I know some of you who are Bible students and say, wait a minute, 
Paul wrote more than anyone else. And if you talk about the number of books of the Bible, you would be correct. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Luke wrote two. So how can we say that Luke wrote more than anyone else? Because if you look at the words, the word count, Luke wrote more than even Paul. So when you look at the Gospel of Luke, I think it's 26 chapters, and the the book of Acts, 28 chapters. When you put those two together, Luke wrote a big portion of what we call the New Testament. The fourth thing that makes Luke a unique gospel writer is this. Luke was not an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. I want you to pause at that one for a moment. I want you to think about that. Those watching online, those watching in the Life Center, I want you to think about that for a moment. Luke was not an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. Let me say it a little more plain for you. As far as we know, he never met Jesus. He never heard Him speak. He never even saw Jesus. Which raises a very interesting question if you think about it. How do you write a gospel about Jesus if you've never met Him personally? Well, let's read the text and Luke tells us. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Read the text with me. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. The first thing that Luke says is, first of all, would you notice that word many? Luke said there, there are many people who have written biographies of Jesus. Which is not really surprising if you think about it. When someone is really important, usually a lot of books are written about that person. I've never had a book written about me. I've never will have a book written about me because I'm just not that important. But important people have books written about them. Luke said, many have written stories, biographies of the Lord Jesus. Because when you're really, really important, people write about you. I did a little research and I found out this week, I don't know how many of you are are Abe Lincoln fans, but did you know that there have been over 15,000 books written about Abraham Lincoln? Over 15,000. In fact, it is said that there have been more books written about Abraham Lincoln than any other person in the history of the world except Jesus Christ. A group of historians in Washington, D.C. not too long ago decided they really wanted to recognize the legacy of Abe Lincoln. So how do you, how do you visually recognize the legacy and the importance of Abraham Lincoln How do you memorialize someone so important? And so they decided their solution was to physically illustrate Lincoln's importance by building a tower of books that are written about him. 7,000 books. This is uh, not even the 15,000, but they took 7,000 books written about Abraham Lincoln and they built a tower that's 8 feet wide, 34 feet tall, which is over 3.5 stories tall. 7,000 books all written about Abraham Lincoln, 7,000 of the 15,000. A huge tower to say, this man was so important. When I read that story, I immediately thought about how John ends his gospel. John says this, Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. John ends his gospel by saying, listen, if we were to build a tower of books based on everything that Jesus said and did, 
there wouldn't be room enough to build that tower. You see, Jesus was a really, really important person. And Luke says in in chapter 1, verse 1, there have been a lot of people. He uses the word many. There have been many, many people who have written a biography and a story about Jesus. So let's pick up the text again. Luke chapter 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. These four interesting verses give us two reasons why you and I should be interested in the Gospel of Luke. Why should we take the time to walk through the Gospel of Luke between now and Easter? Why should we have any interest in this Gospel story called Luke? I want to give you two reasons based on these verses that we've just read. First of all, Luke is a researched biography of Jesus. I want to emphasize that word researched. Luke is a researched biography of Jesus. You know, what what would persuade a reasonable person that Christianity is true? How would you go about persuading a reasonable person that Christianity is true? Well, there's two ways that I can think about. One is that person could be an eyewitness to everything that happened. They could be an eyewitness to Jesus, his life and his ministry, and then they could make their own conclusions if they were a reasonable person. But That circle of people is pretty small, really, when you compare it to history. Not a lot of people, thousands, but not a huge group of people got to see and eyewitness the Lord Jesus. Another way to, to try to convince people that Christianity is true is to have eyewitnesses tell about what they saw. Eyewitnesses tell about what they experienced. Eyewitnesses tell about what they heard. That's the approach Luke uses here. Look at the text with me again. Verse 3, Therefore, since I myself have carefully... What's that next word, church? I have carefully what? Thank you. I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And he tells us in verse 2 how he went about this investigation. Luke says in verse 2 that he talked to eyewitnesses. People who were there from the beginning. Uh, He went and he talked to the eyewitnesses. Luke was not an eyewitness, but he went and talked to the eyewitnesses. Now, who did he talk to? Well, certainly he talked to some of, if not all of the apostles. That's who he's referring to, I think, when he says, who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That is, people who were dedicated to taking the gospel to the world. Luke says, I talked to those people individually. I talked to them personally. I talked to the eyewitnesses, the apostles themselves, who followed Jesus. So he learned the stories of Jesus from the eyewitnesses, the apostles. That word eyewitnesses also may indicate that he talked to some of the women who followed Jesus and supported his ministry. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, you see more women displayed, more women in the discussion, more women in the story than you see in any other Gospel writer. Luke tells the story of several important women. Where did he get those stories? More than likely, he went and talked to them, to the eyewitnesses. For example, Mary Magdala. 
Mary Magdala, who, who was the woman with the demons, and the demons were cast out of her. Luke perhaps went to talk to her because he tells her story in his gospel. Not only women that follow Jesus, but it is quite possible that Luke probably talked to Mary herself, Mary the mother of Jesus. She certainly would have been alive during this time, more than likely. So it's very possible, maybe even probable, that if he's going to talk to the eyewitnesses, it's very possible that he actually went and sat down and talked to the mother of Jesus and said, tell me what it was like. One of the reasons I say that is because Luke gives us more information about the birth of Jesus than any other gospel writer. Now, where did he get that information? Probably from Mary. Mary told him the birth story. Mary told him about the shepherds. Mary told him about the star. Mary told him about the journey to Bethlehem. Mary, he talked to Mary. What was it like, Mary? What was it like to be the mother of Jesus? What stories can you tell me? And so he investigated. He talked to all of these people. And he came to the conclusion, I've got to write this down. Other people need to hear this. Other people need to know this. You see, you need to understand that when we come to the Gospel of Luke, and really when we come to any book in the Bible, but when we come to the Gospel of Luke, this is an historically reliable book. Luke says, I've investigated everything. I've investigated it from the beginning, and I've written down this orderly account. You see, maybe I can say it to you this way. Listen to me, church. The good news is still news. What I mean by that is, it is documented. It is witnessed by many other people. It is based on historical fact. Yes, it is good news, but it is still news. This is not a fairy tale. This is not make-believe. This is a documented historical reality. Luke said, I investigated all of it. Then as I carefully researched it, documented what I found, I had to write it down. So Luke is a researched biography of Jesus. That's one of the reasons we're going to work our way through that book between now and Easter. But secondly, Luke is a book for the not yet convinced. Luke is a book for the not yet convinced. He refers to an individual in this opening verses. He says, verse 3, Therefore, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke says, I'm really writing this for one person. Ultimately, it's for all of us, but his intent, the thing that was driving him, the thing that led him to this investigation, the thing that led him to document this was there was a person he had in mind who needed to know this story. His name was Theophilus. It's interesting, we really don't know a whole lot about him. His name means friend of God or one who loves God. Numerous, there are numerous theories about his identity. Some say he was a man of great wealth who supported Luke's ministry. That's one theory about who Theophilus was. Some say he was a Roman official that Luke was reaching out to, trying to convince him of the truth of the gospel and win the release of the Apostle Paul from prison. That's plausible that Luke met this man and he understood that if I could just convince him that what Paul is saying is true, 
if I could convince him that, that this is real, maybe he would let Paul out of prison. Uh, that, that's at least one option of who Theophilus was. Another theory is that Theophilus was a Greek or a Roman government official. And Luke was witnessing to him. This is the, the theory that I kind of lean into a little bit. And one of the reasons I lean into this theory is because he calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus. There's two other places in the book of Acts where that phrase, most excellent, is used. And it's always used for a Roman official. To address a Roman official. I believe it's quite likely that Luke met this Roman official named Theophilus. And it's interesting that in, in Luke chapter 1, he refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. But in, in the sequel, in Acts chapter 1, he simply refers to him as Theophilus. The theory, and again, it's only speculation, but the theory is perhaps he was not a Christian when Luke wrote the gospel. He read the gospel, and perhaps, only speculation, but perhaps he read the gospel, got saved, and now when Luke writes the sequel, and he addresses him as Theophilus, it's an indication that now he's a brother in Christ, rather than most excellent Theophilus. At least a theory, at least possible. We don't know for sure, but, but more than likely, Theophilus was somebody who was wondering, is Christianity true? And is it the only truth? He perhaps was wrestling with those kind of questions. And so Luke says this, watch this. He said, I'm writing, watch this, verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke said, I've investigated all of this to make sure everything is true. I've investigated all of this and put it in an orderly account because I want you to understand the certainty, the truthfulness, the validity of everything you've been taught about Jesus. I recognize that in this group here this morning or those watching online or those watching over the Life Center, I recognize that we may indeed have someone like Theophilus in our midst. Someone who just simply still is part of the not convinced. Someone who perhaps has some questions about Jesus. Maybe you want to believe, but, but faith comes hard for you. Or maybe you're confused by all the stories that you see in the Bible and, and they're so different and and the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's just so hard to put it all together in your mind, and, and you're still part of the not yet convinced. Or maybe you're not sure that you accept the faith that your parents have. Those watching on the Life Center, college students, sometimes you go off to school, and all of a sudden you have to decide if, if the faith of your parents is going to be your faith. And in those times, it's very easy to kind of slide back and become part of the not yet convinced. I remember a time early in my teenage years when I wondered as I read the Bible, what if somebody just made all of this up? What if none of this is real? What if somebody just made up all of this? But hear me and hear me well. Please, those watching online, those watching live, those here, hear me and hear me well. Christianity does not say, close your eyes and believe. Christianity says, open your eyes and check it out for yourself. You see, the Bible can be 
question. And you can look at your faith and have questions and not understand everything. And it's okay to struggle with your questions and your doubts. Luke was writing to someone like that. He said, I'm writing this story, Theophilus, so that you can know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Because right now, right now you're part of the not yet convinced. All through the Bible, we have these verses. I'm going to show you three of them. All through the Bible, we have these verses that invite us to open our eyes and check it out for ourselves. John chapter 1, verse 46. Nathaniel uh, hears about Jesus of Nazareth, and Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him in response, Come and see. You know what Philip was saying? Check it out for yourself. Just open your eyes and check it out for yourself. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John said, here's the reason I wrote this gospel. At the end of John's gospel, he said, let me tell you the reason I wrote all this. Because I want you to be able to check it out for yourself. I'm not saying close your eyes and believe. I'm saying check it out for yourself. So I've written this story about Jesus. So I've written it down that you can believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. But check it out for yourself. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Every day they were opening their eyes, opening their Bibles, and checking it out for themselves to see if what Paul said was true. The Bible encourages us to do that, to thoroughly investigate the claims of Scripture. And we need to check it out for ourselves because the conclusions that we reach about Jesus are a life and death matter. So important. So important just to check it out for yourself. And if you're part of the not yet convinced, be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you read, especially on the internet. Open your Bible. Open your Bible. and Check it out for yourself. Luke said, that's the reason I've written this gospel. So that you, Theophilus, can check it out for yourself. Deadly Rutherford was a man that, or is, is a pastor in California, and his teenage son was helping him on his Instagram account build his following. Now, for those of you who may not know, Instagram is a social media account that's basically photo-driven. It's kind of like Twitter. It's photo-driven. Uh, and so his son was helping him build his following, and so one of the ways his son was doing that was following people, hoping that they would in turn follow Dudley. Dudley said, I didn't know who was following me, and I didn't take the time to go back and kind of see what people were posting. He said, "Uh, there was one guy in particular, he could have been posting pictures of aliens, and I never would have realized what he was doing. He said, but one day I got a message from that guy. He, He messaged me through Instagram. One of the guys who was following me messaged me through Instagram, and here's 
Here's what the guy said. I've got it written down here. The guy messaged Dudley and said, he said, and I'm just reading now for you. He said, so, um, I see that you're following me, but I don't understand why. I'm like a Satanist, and I don't believe in fairy tales like God. So, um, yeah, unless you want something else from me, I'd suggest blocking me. So, Dudley, being a pastor, he thought, you know, I want to respond the right way. And so, he wanted to keep the conversation going, and he thought for a moment, and so he typed this out and hit send. He typed out, why do you consider yourself a Satanist? Send. And the guy responded back. He said, well, I'm just kidding. I'm really not a Satanist. I'm just an atheist. And so Dudley responded back, oh, so you're a comedic atheist. And the guy said, yeah, I guess so. Ha ha. But the next day, he got another message from the atheist. And the message was, what do you get from God? What does he do for you? But Dudley said, I wanted to make sure I gave him a, a good answer. And this is, I'm just going to read what he wrote in response. He says, I feel like I'm never alone. And that I'm blessed by God and that he has a plan and direction for my life. And I look up at the stars and I think there must be a creator. That none of this is an accident. And I just read the Bible. And as I read the Bible, it rang true. As I read the Bible, it rang true. And Dudley goes on in the story to say, then I challenged him to read the Bible. He said, I figured he didn't since he's an atheist, he doesn't have a Bible. So I challenged him to Google the book of James and to read the first chapter. To which the atheist responded, I told you I don't believe in fairy tales and I don't read books about fairy tales. Dudley said, but James is a history book. Why not just read the first chapter? What would it hurt to read the first chapter? And after reading the first chapter, if you think it's meaningless, then turn it off. About three days later, he got a response from the atheist. It was short, but it was in all caps. And he said, best read of my life. Now, as far as I know, that man is still part of the not yet convinced. But, He now understands you can investigate Christianity for yourself. Just open your Bible. You don't need to talk to a lot of people and read things on the internet that's going to mislead you. Just open your Bible. Because I promise you, there's lots of people in this world who would like nothing better than to steer you in the wrong direction. My wife is an example of that. When we were dating in college... There was a period of time when her mom was dying of cancer and she had to go back to Maryland while I was in school in in Tennessee. She had to move back to Maryland and go to school for a year while she was trying to take care of her mom with cancer. And while she was going to a little community college there in Maryland trying to keep up with everything, she had a professor at that community college that really dented her faith. Really dented her faith in God and in the Bible especially. I got really worried about her because of what she was hearing and what she was thinking and the the conflict in her spirit. 
You know what she did? She opened her Bible. She began to read for herself. Rather than accept everything the secular atheistic professor was telling her, she opened her Bible and began to read for herself. And I would say to you, you need to do that too. Just open your Bible, check it out for yourself. Carefully investigate the Scriptures. And just to quote Luke, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. You ought to underline that. Read the Scriptures so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. My wife today has a strong faith in God, a strong faith in her Bible. She opens it every morning and reads it because she has become convinced as she read for herself, as she investigated herself, the certainty of the things she had been taught. Luke says, Theophilus, I have researched and documented the story of the greatest person to ever walk this earth. I want you to read it. I want you to know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And I want to say to you in the Life Center, those watching online, and those of you here today, if you're part of the not yet convinced, I understand. I understand that faith can be a struggle sometimes. If you're part of the not yet convinced, I do not condemn you. If you are part of the not yet convinced, I would just ask you, read the Gospel of Luke. It may turn out to be the best read of your life. Pray about that. Would you join me? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and the truth of the Gospel. Historically reliable, accurate, the story that has been investigated and documented for Theophilus, but also for us, that we might know the truth of who Jesus is. So as we work our way through this book in the coming weeks, I pray that indeed, Father, that we would see that the gospel of Jesus is true. That the gospel of Jesus is absolutely the truth we all need. I pray that you do a work in someone's life to change their heart, to change their life. May they move from the not yet convinced to the faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And it's in his strong and mighty name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.